Chapter Eight, Part Three of the General History of the Pirates, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The General History of the Pirates, Volume One, by Charles Johnson. Chapter Eight, Part Three. I shall run a description of the vegetables with their properties not only because they are the produce of this island, but most of them of Africa in general. The palm-trees are numerous on the shores of Africa, and may be reckoned the first of their natural curiosities, in that they afford them meat, drink, and clothing. They grow very straight to forty and fifty foot high, and at the top only have three or four circles of branches that spread and make a capacious umbrella. The trunk is very rough with knobs, either excrescencies or the healings of those branches that were lopped off to forward the growth of the tree, and make it answer better in its fruit. The branches are strongly tied together with a cortex, which may be unravelled to a considerable length and breadth. The inward lamella of this cortex, I know, are wove like a cloth at Benin, and afterwards dyed and worn. Under the branches, and close to the body of the tree, hang the nuts, thirty bunches perhaps on a tree, and each of thirty-pound weight, with prickly films from between them, not unresembling hedgehogs. Of these nuts comes a liquid and pleasant scented oil, used as food and sauce all over the coast, but chiefly in the windward parts of Africa, where they stamp, boil, and skim it off in great quantities. Underneath, where the branches fasten, they tap for wine, called cochra, in this manner. The negroes, who are mostly limber, active fellows, encompass themselves and the trees with a hoop of strong width, and run up with a great deal of agility. At the bottom of a branch of nuts he makes an excavation of an inch and a half over, and tying fast his calabash, leaves it to distill, which it does to two or three quarts in a night's time. When done, he plugs it up, and chooses another. For, if suffered to run too much, or in the daytime, the sap is unwarily exhausted, and the tree spoiled. The liquor thus drawn is of a wayish colour, intoxicating, and sours in twenty-four hours, but when new-drawn is pleasantest to thirst and hunger both. It is from these wines they draw their arrack in India. On the very top of the palm grows a cabbage, called so, I believe, from some resemblance its taft is thought to have with ours, and is used like it. The covering has a down that makes the best of tinder, and the weavings of other parts are drawn out into strong threads. Coconut trees are branched like, but not so tall as palm trees, the nut like them, growing under the branches and close to the trunk. The milky liquor they contain, to half a pint or more, is often drank to quench thirst, but surfeiting, and this may be observed in their way of nourishment, that when the quantity of milk is large, the shell and meat are very thin, and harden and thicken in proportion as that loses. Cotton trees also are the growth of all parts of Africa, as well as the islands, of vast bigness, yet not so incremental as the shrubs or bushes of five or six foot high. These bear a fruit, if it may be so called, about the bigness of pigeon's eggs, which as the sun swells and ripens, bursts forth and discovers three cells loaded with cotton, and seeds in the middle of them. This, in most parts, the negroes know how to spin, 
and here at Nikongo and the island St. Jago how to weave into cloths. Thames are a common root, sweeter but not unlike potatoes. Kulalu, a herb like spinach. Papa, a fruit less than the smallest pumpkins. They are all three for boiling and to be eat with meat. The latter are improved by the English into a turnip or an apple tart, with a due mixture of butter or limes. Guavas, a fruit as large as a pippin, with seeds and stones in it, of an uncouth, astringing taste, though never so much be said in commendation of it, at the West Indies, it is common for Creolians, who has tasted both, to give it a preference to peach or nectarine. No amazing thing when men whose tastes are so degenerated as to prefer a toad in a shell, as Ward calls turtle, to venison, and negroes to fine English ladies. Plantains and bananas are fruit of oblong figure that I think differ only secundum minor et minus. If any, the latter are preferable, and by being less are juicier. They are usually, when stripped of their coat, eat at meals instead of bread. The leaf of this plantain is an admirable detergent, and, externally applied, I have seen cure the most obstinate scorbutic ulcers. Manioco, a root that shoots its branches about the height of a currant-bush. From this root the islanders make a farine or flour, which they fell at three riles a roof, and drive a considerable trade for it with the ships that call in. The manner of making it is first to press the juice from it, which is poisonous, done here with engines, and then the negro women, upon a rough stone, rub it into a granulated flour, reserved in their houses either to boil, as we do our wheat, and is a hearty food for the slaves, or make it into a bread, fine, white, and well-tasted, for themselves. One thing worth taking notice about Manioco in this island is that the woods abound with a wild, poisonous, and more mortiferous sort, which sometimes men, unskilled in the preparation of it, feed on to their destruction. This the missionaries assured me they often experimented in their hogs, and believed we did in the mortality of our sailors. Indian corn is likewise, as well as the farine, the manioco, and rice, the common victualling of our slave ships, and is afforded here at one thousand heads for two dollars. This corn grows eight or nine foot high, on a hard reed or stick, shooting forth at every six inches height some long leaves. It has always an ear, or rather head, at top of perhaps four hundred-fold increase, and often, too, three or more midway. Here are some tamarind trees, another called cola, whose fruit, or nut, about twice the bigness of a chestnut and bitter, is chewed by the Portuguese to give a sweet gust to their water which they drink. But, above all, I was shown the bark of one, whose name I do not know, gravely affirmed to have a peculiar property of enlarging the virile member. I am not fond of such conceits, nor believe it in the power of any vegetables, but must acknowledge I have seen sights of this kind among the negroes very extraordinary. Yet that there may be no wishes amongst the ladies for the importation of this bark, I must acquaint them that they are found to grow less merry as they increase in bulk. I'd like to have forgot their cinnamon trees, there is only one walk of them, and is the entrance of the governor's villa. 
They thrive extremely well, and the bark not inferior to our cinnamon from India. Why they and other spice in a soil so proper receive no farther cultivation is, probably, their suspicion that so rich a produce might make some potent neighbour take a fancy to the island. They have two winters, or rather springs, and two summers. Their winters, which are the rainy seasons, come in September and February or March, and hold two months, returning that fatness and generative power to the earth as makes it yield a double crop every year, with little sweat or labour. Hic ver avidum actque alignis mensibus aestas, bis gravida pecudes, bis pomis utilis arbos. Their first coming is with travados, that is, sudden and hard gusts of wind, with thunder, lightning and heavy showers, but short, and the next new or full moon at those times of the year infallibly introduces the rains, which, once begun, fall with little intermission, and are observed coldest in February. Similar to these are rainy seasons also over all the coast of Africa. If there may be allowed any general way of calculating their time, they happen from the course of the sun as it respects the equinoctial only. For if these equinoxes prove rainy seasons all over the world, as I am apt to think they are, whatever secret cause operates with that station of the sun to produce them, will more effectually do it in those vicine latitudes, and therefore, as the sun advances, the rains are brought on the wider and gold coast by April, and on the windward most part of Guinea by May. The other season of the suns, returning to the southward, make them more uncertain and irregular in northern Africa, but then to the southward again. They proceed in like manner, and are at Cape Lopez in October, at Angola in November, etc. The manner of living among the Portuguese here is, with the utmost frugality and temperance, even to penury and starving. A familiar instance of proof is in the voracity of their dogs, who, finding such clean cupboards at home, are wild in a manner with hunger, and tear up the graves of the dead for food, as I have often seen. They themselves are lean with covetousness, and that Christian virtue which is often the result of it, self-denial, and would train up their cattle in the same way, could they fetch as much money, or had not they their provision more immediately of providence. The best of them, excepting the governor now and then, neither pay nor receive any visits of escapade or recreation. They meet and sit down at each other's doors in the street every evening, and as few of them, in so small an island, can have their plantations at any great distance, than that they may see every day if they will, so the subject of their talk is mostly how affairs went there, with their negroes, or their ground, and then part with one another innocently, but empty. The negroes have yet no hard duty with them. They are rather happy in slavery, for as their food is chiefly vegetables, that could no way else be expended, there is no murmurs bred on that account, and as their business is domestic, either in the services of the house, or in gardening, sowing, or planting, they have no more than what every man would prefer for health and pleasure. The hardest of their work is the carriage of their patroons or their wives to and from the plantations, this they do in hammocks, called at Vida serpentines, flung cross a pole, with a cloth over, to screen the person so carried from sun and weather, and the slaves are at each end, 
and yet even this, methinks, is better than the specious liberty a man has for himself and his heirs to work in a coal-mine. The Negroes are, most of them, through the care of their patroons, Christians, at least nominal, but excepting to some few, they adhere still to many silly pagan customs in their mournings and rejoicings, and in some measure powerful majority has introduced them with the vulgar of the mulatto and Portuguese race. If a person die in that colour, the relations and friends of him meet at the house, where the corpse is laid out decently on the ground and covered, all except the face, with a sheet. They fit round it, crying and howling dreadfully, not unlike what our countrymen are said to do in Ireland. This mourning lasts for eight days and nights, but not equally intense, for as the friends who compose the chorus go out and in, are wary and unequally affected, the tone lessens daily, and the intervals of grief are longer. In rejoicings and festivals they are equally ridiculous. They are commonly made on some friend's escape from shipwreck or other danger. They meet in a large room of the house, with a strum-strum, to which one of the company, perhaps, sings woefully. The rest, standing round the room close to the petitions, take it in their turns, one or two at a time, to step round, called dancing the whole clapping their hands continually, and hooping out every minute abo, which signify no more than how do you. And this foolish mirth will continue three or four days together at a house, and perhaps twelve or sixteen hours at a time. The Portuguese, though eminently abstemious and temperate in all other things, are unbounded in their lusts and perhaps they substitute the former in room of a surgeon as a counterpoison to the mischiefs of a promiscuous celesty. They have most of them venereal taints, and with age become meagre and hectic. I saw two instances here of venereal ulcers that had cancerated to the bowels, spectacles that would have effectually persuaded men, I think, how salutary the restriction of laws are. Anobono is the last and of the least consequence of the three islands, there are plenty of fruits and provisions, exchanged to ships for old clothes and trifles of any sort. They have a governor nominated from St. Thome, and two or three priests, neither of which are minded, every one living at discretion, and filled with ignorance and lust. To return to Davis, the next day after he left Anamabo, early in the morning, the man at the masthead espied a sail. It must be observed they keep a good lookout, for, according to their articles, he who first espies a sail, if she proves a prize, is entitled to the best pair of pistols on board, over and above his dividend, in which they take a singular pride, and a pair of pistols has sometimes been sold for thirty pounds from one to another. Immediately they gave chase, and soon came up with her. The ship proved to be a Hollander, and being betwixt Davis and the shore, she made all the sail she could, intending to run aground. Davis guessed her design, and putting out all his small sails, came up with her before she could effect it, and fired a broadside, upon which she immediately struck, and called for quarter. It was granted, for according to Davis's articles, it was agreed that quarter should be given whenever it was called for, upon pain of death. This ship proved a very rich prize, having the governor of Accra on board, with all his effects, going to Holland. There was in money to the value of fifteen thousand pounds sterling, besides other valuable merchandises, all which they brought on board of themselves. Upon this new success they restored Captain Hall and Captain Plum, before mentioned, their ships again, 
but strengthen their company with thirty-five hands, all white men, taken out of these two in the Maurice sloop. They also restored the Dutch their ship, after having plundered her, as is mentioned. Before they got to the island of Princes, one of their ships, that is, that called the King James, sprung a leak. Davis ordered all hands out of her, on board his own ship, with everything else of use, and left her at an anchor at High Cameroon. As soon as he came in sight of the island, he hoisted English colours. The Portuguese, observing a large ship sailing towards them, sent out a little sloop to examine what she might be. This sloop hailing of Davis, he told them he was an English man of war, in quest of pirates, and that he had received intelligence that there were some upon that coast. Upon this they received him as a welcome guest, and piloted him into the harbour. He saluted the fort, which they answered, and he came to an anchor just under their guns, and hoisted out the pinnace, man-of-war fashion, ordering nine hands and a coxswain in it, to row him ashore. The Portuguese, to do him the greater honour, sent down a file of musketeers to receive him, and conduct him to the governor. The governor, not in the least suspecting what he was, received him very civilly, promising to supply him with whatever the island afforded. Davis thanked him, selling him the King of England would pay for whatever he should take. So, after several civilities passed between him and the governor, he returned again on board. It happened a French ship came in there to supply itself with some necessaries, which Davis took into his head to plunder, but to give the thing a colour of right, he persuaded the Portuguese that she had been trading with the pirates, and that he found several pirate goods on board, which he seized for the king's use. This story passed so well upon the governor that he commended Davis's diligence. A few days after, Davis, with about fourteen more, went privately ashore, and walked up the country towards a village, where the governor and the other chief men of the island kept their wives, intending, as we may suppose, to supply their husbands' places with them. But being discovered, the women fled to a neighbouring wood, and Davis and the rest retreated to their ship, without effecting their design. The thing made some noise, but as nobody knew them, it passed over. Having cleaned his ship, and put all things in order, his thoughts now were turned upon the main business, that is, the plunder of the island, and not knowing where the treasure lay, a stratagem came into his head, to get it, as he thought, with little trouble, he consulted his men upon it, and they liked the design. His scheme was to make a present to the governor of a dozen negroes, by way of return for the civilities received from him, and afterwards to invite him, with the chief men and some of the friars, on board his ship, to an entertainment. The minute they came on board they were to be secured in irons, and there kept till they should pay a ransom of forty thousand pounds sterling. But this stratagem proved fatal to him, for a Portuguese negro swam ashore in the night, and discovered the whole plot to the governor, and also let him know that it was Davis who had made the attempt upon their wives. However, the governor dissembled, received the pirate's invitation civilly, and promised that he and the rest would go. The next day Davis went on shore himself, as if it were out of greater respect to bring the governor on board. He was received with the usual civility, and he and other principal pirates, who, by the way, had assumed the title of lords, and as such took upon them to advise or counsel their captain upon any important occasion, and likewise held certain privileges, which the common pirates were debarred from, as walking the quarter-deck, using the great cabin, going ashore at pleasure, and treating with foreign powers, that is, with the captains of ships they made prize of. 
I say Davis and some of the lords were desired to walk up to the governor's house to take some refreshment before they went on board. They accepted it without the least suspicion, but never returned again. For an ambuscade was laid, a signal being given, a whole volley was fired upon them. They, every man, dropped, except one. This one fled back, and escaped into the boat, and got on board the ship. Davis was shot through the bowels, yet he rise again, and made a weak effort to get away. But his strength soon forsook him, and he dropped down dead. Just as he fell, he perceived he was followed, and drawing out his pistols, fired them at his pursuers. Thus, like a gamecock giving a dying blow, that he might not fall unrevenged. End of chapter 8